Today's Bible reading is Psalm 3, verses 1 to 8. A Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be on your people. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Trinity Church Arnley. If I haven't met you before, my name's Jack. Um, one of the pastors here, as Carl said. Um, and this morning, as, as you've as we've already read, uh, we're reading a psalm that's been written by a king who is under pressure, by the leader of the Israelites, by King David. And as we get into things and look, looking at this psalm, I want to ask you a question. Uh, what comes to mind when you hear the phrase, follow the leader? What comes to mind when you hear the phrase, follow the leader? For me, it brings back memories of a road trip uh, with, yeah, you guessed it, with my brother Sam and our good mate Davo, slash other brother. I just finished my uh, my last year of high school when we decided to go on a road trip up and down the Great Ocean Road. And it was a road trip with minimal planning involved. We just hopped into a car with some surfboards on the roof and we started out on a 14-day road trip. Uh, We decided on a very specific decision-making structure for where we'd go and what we'd do, and it was pretty simple. See, one person was elected the leader of the road trip until they made a bad decision, which led the people following said leader to feel unhappy. It was very effective, and we took it quite seriously. See, the first leadership fail involved a decision as simple as stopping off and getting pies from the wrong bakery in Handorf. It was terrible leadership revoked, no more. This was the first day, okay? It gives you a hint about how seriously we were taking this road trip, uh, these, these road trip leadership rules. Another leadership fail involved Davo unloading a can of air freshener at me while I was in a cubicle at McDonald's and are both of us smelling, you know, disgustingly fruity for the rest of the day. Davo lost his leadership privileges for that. But the most memorable leadership fail uh, was when my brother Sam found like, a great surfing break somewhere just outside of Torquay. Uh, it being Sam's turn to be the leader, Davo and I, we willingly jumped in the car with him as he led us there. Uh, that is until we rocked up at the beach and saw in big letters on a sign near the car park saying, warning, uh, nudist beach. Uh, we probably, we turned the car around, we went the other way. Sam's leadership uh, immediately revoked on the spot. No more leadership. But in all cases, there was something that, that we all had in common in this. And it was that those following the leader shared in the leader's fate, uh, whether that was a disgusting pie or a really fruity smell or arriving at the wrong destination, we shared in the fate of our leader on that road trip. This morning, we've looked at Psalm 3, and at a leader who was under immense pressure, he's also uh, on the road, but for very different reasons. In 2 Samuel chapter 15 to 18, we read the context of this Psalm of David's. See, David's own son, Absalom, is seeking to become the king instead of David and has turned God's people, the Israelites, against David. David, who is God's chosen king. And now David must flee for his life. 
The words of this psalm are David's response to being under immense pressure because of this. I want you to to notice in verse 8 what King David says. It says, From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. In Psalm 3, as we read through it, we read of David's prayer for deliverance from God. And in verse 8, we read that being assured of his own deliverance as the king of Israel, that David then says, May your blessing be on your people. Because the fate of King David is a fate that his people would share. When the king is blessed, his people are blessed too. When the king is delivered, his people are delivered. This psalm is a song that comes from a king. But as the people who followed King David, the Israelites, well, they would have been able to share in and sing this song too as those who share in the fate of their king. Now for us today, we don't follow King David. We follow the king who David foreshadows, don't we? We follow Jesus. See, he is the true king of the whole Bible. He's really the true king of the Psalms as well. And for those who follow Jesus as the leader, he is the king in whose fate we share. And he is the king through whom these words of lament become our own and through whom these words of trust and assurance become our own too as we look to our king. We all understand that feeling of pressure, don't we? I bet many of us are feeling under pressure from different spheres of life at the moment. And I know for me, when I feel under pressure, it can feel a little bit like I'm in a tunnel with the walls kind of just closing in on me. The end of the tunnel can get further and further away the more I'm running towards it. The thing causing me to feel under pressure, becoming the all-consuming thing, all that I can see while I'm in there. I don't know how it feels for you. But this morning, this psalm helps us see that when we are in that tunnel, we're not alone. And when we are in that tunnel, we have a sure hope that we can cling to, even when we don't know when that pressure is going to go away. Firstly, we see this in following the leader under pressure. If you were handed a leaflet as you walked in the door this morning, you'll see that there are four points in there. The first being point one, following the leader under pressure. Well, in verses uh, 1 to 2, King David writes, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. See, here we hear the anguish of a king. The first two verses this morning are that of lament from King David, and they reveal the thing that is cutting him to his heart, that are cutting him to his core. David's own son has turned against him and has turned David's people against him as well. And David is cut to the heart. When we read 2 Samuel chapter 15, we read of David weeping as he's running away from his city and his throne and his own son. And we read in verse 2 this morning what David's central concern is while this is happening. Many are saying of David, God will not deliver him. And more than swords or arrows or loss of power or the comfort of the material possessions that he has there, the thing that cuts him to the core are the words that God will not deliver him from this mess that he is in, from this pressure that he is under. The walls feel like they are closing in for David and there is no escape. You know, as we read of this king who is surrounded by foes, who are saying that God will not deliver him, Our minds are diverted to another king, aren't they? The true king of the Bible who David foreshadows in this psalm. 
to King Jesus, surrounded by both political and religious foes, by people who wanted him dead, betrayed by one of his closest followers, and hung on a cross to die a criminal's death as an innocent man. And we read in Matthew how they mocked him, what these people said in Matthew 27. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In other words, God will not deliver him. And I wonder if under the pressures of life, you've ever heard those voices or felt that way yourself. Perhaps because of what is happening or has happened in a relationship or at work or because of grief because of the uncertainties of sickness, or maybe because of a guilty conscience, because of things you know that you've done wrong, or are feeling tempted to do that you know are wrong. Have you heard those words, God will not deliver you? Christopher Ash is a Bible teacher and a writer who spent a lot of time in the Psalms, and has been very helpful for me as I've looked at Psalm 3. He has this to say, Verses 1 and 2 are not my direct experience, for they are the pressures of the king. But as one of the king's loyal people, I must expect some overflow of those pressures and not be surprised when I do. This is exactly what the New Testament teaches as well, isn't it? That those who follow Jesus, who follow our king, uh, share in some of the suffering, some of the hardships that our king experienced. And it's right for us to actually recognize this this morning and to not pretend that everything is always okay, even when we gather together on a morning like this. That's not how the king shows us to respond to the pressures of life. He's struggling. And right now, I'm actually going to pray before we continue looking at this psalm, going to lead us in bringing to God um, any of the pressures that we might be feeling right now or that we might know are just around the corner. And as we pray, I'm going to thank God that our king isn't just a bystander to our struggles, but is someone who knows exactly what it feels like. Let's pray. Our Lord God, you are not a God who expects us to ignore hard times when we go through them, but we can cry out as David cries out in this psalm under pressure. We praise you that our King Jesus knows exactly what it is to experience life here in this world. We praise you that our King Jesus sympathizes with our struggles and the pressures that we face in life. And we bring these pressures before you now, Lord. Amen. Well, we've read here of a king who's under pressure, right? But but how does King David then respond while he's under pressure? What does he do? I know if I had an army coming after me, I'd probably respond by fleeing to the hills or at the least by investing in some really great camouflage so I can just hide. But David doesn't do any of that. We might have expected him to convene a war council, uh, maybe sharpen his sword, maybe find some more good quality stones to go with that sling that's been hanging up on his wall. But that's not his response here, is it? Instead, his response is to remember. He remembers the promises of God. That's point two this morning, following the leader to the promises of God. David writes, But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. In response to the pressure that David is under, he turns to the promises that God 
has made him. And these are actually very unique promises. See, these are promises that were only for the king, not for his people, not for anyone else, but for the king. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, an amazing promise that God had made to King David. Promises of safety, promises of rest from his enemies, as well as promises of establishing David's throne and the throne of his son forever. And David, who is right now feeling under pressure, remembers God's promises and can turn to the promises of God, knowing that God would protect him from all sides as a shield, knowing that God was David's glory or his magnificence, his dignity as king that is found in God alone. He knows that God is the only one who can lift David's head high in victory, though it is currently bowed down under pressure. And David calls out to God, and God answers him from his holy mountain. See, in the movement of the book of Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2 stand as really foundational to understanding who the king of the Psalms truly is and what their role is. In Psalm 2, we read that God responds by scoffing at those people like Absalom and those who were following him, who were plotting against God's chosen ruler. In Psalm 2 verse 6, God says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. See, it's not Absalom who gets to decide who the king is. It's not the Israelites, it's God. And his chosen king is David. And David knows this promise. And so this is what he turns to when he is under pressure. But remember, he is the king who foreshadows the true king. The son that God promised to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, whose throne and kingdom God would establish forever. Jesus, the king who is the fulfillment of God's promises to David. The king who has had the ultimate victory already. And just as it is true that those who follow Jesus can expect to share in the suffering and the hardships of their king, well, we also share in his victory and his glory, just as the Israelites shared in David's victory. For King David, this victory that he looked to, it had temporary significance. It was a victory over people. But for King Jesus, his victory is so much more than that. See, King Jesus' victory cuts to the very core of the brokenness of the world and to the core of all the pressures and the hardships and the suffering that we face in the world, and it has eternal significance. King David has heard the words, God will not deliver him, and his response has been to turn to the promises of God that say, no, I am with you and I am for you. And for us, as we face the pressures of this life, as we follow Jesus, we might hear those words, God will not deliver you. But when we do, we can turn to the promises of God that are ours in Christ, in our King. Promises that point us to the cross where our King died in order that we wouldn't have to, to pay the penalty for sin so that we didn't have to. Is the shield all around us who has had the ultimate victory over sin and death, a victory that we share in as our heads are held high as we follow our king. He's defeated the greatest enemy so that we might have forgiveness and so that we might have life with him. Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Well, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God will not deliver you? No. God has delivered you if you trust in and follow Jesus. And though we can expect to feel the pressures of living in this broken world presently and go through all the hardships of this world, though we might feel bowed over and though it might feel like the walls of the tunnels are closing in on us, we know that we share in Jesus' eternal victory. God is with us. God is for us. He is with us in that tunnel, going before us, pointing us to the exit and saying, follow me. And so point three, we can follow the leader to rest. David says in verses five to six, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. See, David, having remembered the promises of God, is able to lie down and is able to sleep. And when he wakes, he knows the only reason he has is because God sustains him. So he doesn't fear the thing that has been causing him to feel all that pressure, the many people who are assailing him from every side. And why? Because he knows that he can trust in God even in the midst of the pressures of life. And so he can rest. It's a, it's a great and big expression of trust, isn't it? That David can lie down and get a good night's sleep despite what is happening around him. And we see Jesus doing the same thing, don't we, in Mark chapter 4. During a storm in a boat while the disciples are freaking out around him, Jesus has a nap. But I don't think that this is saying that if you aren't sleeping, then you aren't really trusting in the promises of God well enough. That actually sounds really stressful, doesn't it? Trying to go to bed that way. Trusting in the promises of God, trusting in the promises of God. It's probably not going to work. I mean, we also see that Jesus stayed up some nights, didn't he? Praying and helping people. We also read of Jesus um, the night that he was arrested, agonizing over what was about to happen to him before he was arrested and, and put to death. See, what I think David is saying here is that he can enjoy and rest in the promises of God presently, even when life is battering him. And it leads to him being able to get a good night's sleep because he knows that when and if he awakens, it's because God has sustained him. Not himself, not, not his army, but God who leads him safely through the night, even though there are so many people who are against him. And for those who follow King Jesus, we can have this same trust in God and in what he's done for us. Knowing that we can lie down and sleep and if we wake, it's because God sustains us, because God is with us. But if it happens that we go to sleep and we don't open our eyes again in this life, we know that they will open again in the presence of our King, when his victory is complete, and we look around us and see the place that is so vividly painted there for us in Revelation 21, where we are with God and God is with us, his people where he will wipe every tear from our eyes, where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. See, this is our God who has delivered us from sin and death, who is with us presently, even in the midst of the pressures of life. See, this is our King. 
point four, he is the leader that we can follow to assurance. So finally, knowing uh, the pressure that he is under and turning to the promises of God and being able to rest in those promises, uh, David proclaims the assurance that he has in God's deliverance. He says, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. It's pretty brutal imagery, isn't it? Why strike them on the jaw? Why not just maybe zap them with some lightning or something, hit the smite button on the keyboard and just be done with it? Why strike them on the jaw? I'll show you why. See, right now, it's, it's quite easy for me to say, God will not deliver you. I can say it quite aggressively. God will not deliver you. But uh, when I do this, it doesn't have much the same impact, does it? Just as I can't talk with a mouthful of socks, those who are crying out to David that God will not deliver him, well, they'll no longer be able to do so, will they? God will render them unable to. And those who follow Jesus can have this same assurance during the pressures of this life that might give voice to that fear or make us feel like God is not with us. When we remember the promises of God and what he's already done for us through our King Jesus, well, the teeth of those pressures are smashed out. Their jaws are swollen. The muffled cries of God will not deliver you or God is not with you will begin to lose form as your eyes are lifted to the glorious reality of our victorious risen king. The king we follow, the king whose fate we share. And as we read those last two lines of verse 8, well, we're reminded of the blessings that we have already through our king, aren't we? The king in whose fate we share. And it's a line that we can join in saying confidently, knowing that the victory of our king, who was risen from the dead, who was reigning presently in heaven, it's a victory that we share in. That's a life that is ours. We're actually about to pray those two lines together. Well, we're going to pray the whole of Psalm 3 before we sing in response to what we've read this morning. Now this psalm, though, it is a psalm written by a king, It's a psalm that we are invited into through Jesus. It's a psalm that becomes our own. And it's also a psalm that was never meant to be prayed or sung alone. But it's one that we pray together as we all share in the different pressures of life and as we support one another in the pressures of life, as we bear one another's burdens. Now, you might not be in a position this morning where you're uh, really feeling the pressures of life at the moment, And if that's you, that's great. But pray these words as well for those around you who are really feeling the pressures of life at the moment. And if you're here and you're still thinking about whether or not you follow Jesus, please don't feel um, any pressure pressure, uh, to join in with praying this psalm. Uh, Maybe just reflect on the words and ask yourself the question, who is the leader that I turn to and that I follow when I'm under pressure? And where are they ultimately leading me? For everyone else, let me give you a moment to think about some of those things that you'd like to bring before God using this psalm, and then we'll pray these words together, and then we'll sing. Let's pray together. Lord, how many are my foes? 
How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Amen.